SolarWind Media presents Ron Schaefer's podcast. We're whisked back to Washington, D.C. that very night. Agent Brubaker said they would allow me the inside story only after Dr. Flabbergast's mission, whatever that was, was both accomplished and successful. He also promised me addresses in the Far East. In the meantime, I was to be a silent observer and kept in a hotel room away from everything else. They supplied me with picture magazines from Hong Kong and an eight millimeter projector with confiscated films. Who knew the government had this stuff? You must remember, this was in the days before videotape. Meanwhile, it became known through the grapevine that the Army Corps of Engineers developed a strange serum. It was strange because the ACE doesn't do that sort of thing. What do guys who build bridges know about medical serums? Anyway, there was this serum developed as a cure to worldwide constipation. It must have been done in a hurry because such things take years to develop, and the crisis was still only weeks old. Well, it turns out haste makes unsatisfactory results, as it was not a cure, but only a temporary alleviant. Somebody should have fired the engineer making this glitch and send him back to his bulldozer, or praise him for a good-hearted effort and fired his boss for coming up with the stupid idea in the first place. It worked like this. A certain chemical was sprayed into the air and inhaled by volunteer test patients. While the symptoms it relieved were minuscule, it did create a strange phenomenon. It made everyone fart. While farting did give people some relief, it also made their farts visible. Everyone exposed to the aerated serum would have their digestive gas turned into dark purple clouds that lingered in the air. People at the ACE, thinking like engineers, decided, what the hey, and packaged it for distribution. Panic was mounting as the crisis got worse. The Air Force got hold of the stuff and shot it into the sky. You would think there would be world leaders who would resist and say, hey, you can't do that sort of thing, but the leaders were now in bed with cramps. Nobody was to stop the generals from trying out an experiment on a worldwide stage by shooting canisters of fart mixant into the atmosphere. So that's what they did. Desperate times seek desperate measures, and the powers that be were slipping into comas while the effect on the general population was spreading faster than anybody dreamed possible. It wouldn't be long before everyone's intestines had turned into bricks. And so, without much ado, and without much regard for anything else, canisters filled with the secret stuff labeled environmental goop were loaded onto rockets and detonated over the world's skies, seeding the clouds with goopy stuff, and bringing it back to Earth as rain. It worked with modest success. Let's not get fussy about the term success. In that, it did affect the atmosphere and eventually the ground. Some plants turned pink. Dung beetles turned rosy red. Flies turned a weird shade of electric lavender. Compost piles were now fuchsia, and everyone began to fart. There was nothing subtle about it. Everywhere you went, out on the street, in school cafeterias, in boardrooms and conference halls, in grocery stores and airport baggage claims, 
Clouds of puffy, purple clouds gathered, clung to ceilings, and lingered for far longer than anybody wanted to acknowledge. And the smell didn't please anyone either. People would duck out of crowds far in advance when they saw the clouds gathering ahead of them. Eventually, people refused to leave the house due to embarrassment. As for assholes, it really didn't do much. For the most part, people were still constipated. However, the farther up the chain of power you went, such as diplomatic dignitaries and heads of state, the worse your cramps were. It was clear there was a political message being sent by this worldwide catastrophe. Assholes were taking the human race hostage. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This is a story about Dr. Flabbergast and my working with him. Before I go on, I should point out that the attempt at neutralizing the epidemic by the joint effort of the U.S. Air Force and the Army Corps of Engineers failed completely. Not only did things return to normal after a week's worth of purple gas without much effect, but they did manage to screw up the water supply for months. Long after the pink plants and purple fart clouds disappeared, the water still was a strange hue of purple. However, it had no adverse effect on anything other than looking peculiar, and so the remaining discoloration too eventually faded away. They kept me from seeing Dr. Flabbergast for days after we landed in Washington. After all, he was working on a top-secret mission. And they wanted to see how the environmental goop was going to work. But I was considered press, and press was something they wanted to keep a handle on until the time was right for the public to know. Another reason I didn't get to see him was because he was simply so busy. He had so many experiments to run, so many patients to check on, so many volunteer subjects to see, and so many assholes to look up. I gathered things were going well for him, but the world, meanwhile, was getting worse. And the United Nations had looked rather unkindly on the fart bomb that the U.S. had detonated in the atmosphere. Everywhere there were critics. Well, everyone was cranky anyway. The U.S. just gave people a scapegoat to complain about. I was kept, mostly, in my hotel room during all this time, checking out movies and magazines, and occasionally stepping down to a corner diner for a chance to rub elbows with the locals. Not much was served these days. Not many people were hungry. Sales and ex-lax soared. And for some people, that was their only diet. I mostly had coffee and the intermittent donut. Constipation doesn't stop one from peeing, and a lot of people, myself included, had gone to something of a liquid diet. The diner had gone to selling a lot of nutrition smoothies, the thinner the better for some, meaning they were selling out on drinks made out of boiled seaweed and other nauseating brews. For an industrial nation that survives on work, work was more and more coming to a halt. In some cases, entire industries were shutting down due to a lack of a workforce. Mail was still delivered, so was parcel post, but slowly, and not everywhere every time. Stuff moved about as in the old stagecoach days. Another week went by, and another, with, presumably, Flabbergast and his team working round the clock. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. addressed a poorly attended Security Council meeting to request for another detonation of a fart bomb. Surprisingly, no one objected. Purple clouds rose up everywhere. I was sitting in my hotel room feeling miserable. Masturbation is not so much fun when it feels as if your insides are made out of poured concrete. 
when a knock came on the door. I went to receive it in my underwear, not much caring what I looked like. On the other side of the door, in his patented patent leather trench coat, smiling his greasy smile, was Agent Brubaker. It would seem the constipation issue had not yet affected him, or he was good at hiding it. Maybe that was the cause of his grin. Dr. Flowergast would like to see you, he stated when I opened the door. Me? That's what he said. Dr. Flabbergast, looking very weary, entered my hotel room to my surprise. I thought I was being summoned to his lab. Brubaker shut the door behind us and stood guard out in the hallway. My boy, how are you? The good doctor started. Well, I'll tell you, he wandered in, looking for a place to sit. It was a statement obviously intended to answer my surprise at his presence. I hate government officials, and I've had a face full of assholes. You are a refreshing sight. I thanked him for the compliment, but stopped short of anything else, as he noticed the condition and smell of my hotel room. He clucked his tongue several times while looking around, still trying to find a place to sit, and I was too dense to clear a space for him. I wasn't thinking properly in those days, and the rumpled clothes, dirty underwear, crumpled magazines and newspapers and empty cans of beer and bottles of soda pop had become such a familiar sight to myself that I regarded them as pets. I didn't think of how it might look to others because I never expected visitors. Though I did get dirty looks from housekeeping, but eventually they stopped coming anyway, probably out sick. How's the work coming, I asked, not moving to help Flabbergast. Have you come any closer? Yes, 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 he moaned. In due time, I'm just very tired. He sat down and ignored the junk. After all, I had seen his home, and his furniture was just as cluttered. More gadgets, scientific journals, and antiques, perhaps, and less pornography and filthy underwear. But there was an equivalency here. I'm under a lot of pressure, he confided. But I assume you know about pressure. Different type, maybe, but I get it. They let me see my doggy, but only once a week. So why are you here? I just needed to talk to somebody. Somebody who doesn't think properly. I'll take that as a compliment. No discussions on scientific applications. No talk of bowel movements. Gotcha. None here. Anywho, they won't let me talk about anything. Besides, I really don't want to talk about anything. Then what did you want, doctor? Being a reporter, you want to know all kinds of things about facts and figures, don't you? Not necessarily, sir. I work for the National Bludgeon. That doesn't matter. I'll let you in on a little secret since they won't let you out of this hotel room until the crisis is over. Fine. Shoot. My suspicions have been more or less confirmed. You mean all the anuses of the world have gone on strike? Incredible, isn't it? An anal conspiracy. You remember my telling you of Jung's collective unconscious? Yeah. Yeah, well. It seems anuses have minds of their own and are collaborating to make the mess we're in. Because they hate the mess we're in. The mess humanity has made of the world. They're sick of nuclear war, sick of pollution, sick of poverty and crime. They're sick of game shows. They wanted to put a stop to the madness. And since the brains weren't working properly, they figured they would. They're on strike until we fix civilization. 
how are you able to reach this decision? When you have your head up hundreds of arseholes, you begin to get to know how they think. You get a lot of really smart-ass answers, too. You talk to arch, uh, you talk to assholes, don't you? We do it every day, only we don't realize it's the arsehole talking. We've always assumed it's the brain, when in fact the brain has largely been turned off in a lot of cases. If brains were functioning, do you think we'd be in this mess? I guess, I answered not knowing what to say. So what can be done about it? We're experimenting with ultrasonic waves, but I don't know if that will do any good. Besides, you don't want to hear about it. Yes, yes, I do. Well, I don't. I'm sick of it. Sick of working. But you have to. The world's in a crisis. I heard that. Quite a pain in the arse, isn't it? <laughs> he enjoyed his little joke. I just wanted to get away for a while. And I knew you had no place to go. You know, this room smells like semen. Does it? I added, then tried to quickly cover. If the arse, uh, that is, if the assholes have a conspiracy going, maybe they've got a solution. Thought about that, he answered, but arseholes are arseholes. They really don't think ahead. They can only complain. Think of your own arsehole. Does it ever give you any good ideas? I briefly reflected on my interest in anal sex, but felt it best not to mention it. No, I stated. Well then, he rejoined. I offered him something to drink, which he agreed to, so I brought out a couple of iced teas. He became very withdrawn. No doubt some of that was just fatigue and stress-related, but he also seemed to be ruminating something deep within his thoughts, which I did not want to interrupt. So we sat there quietly sipping our teas. I thought of either putting on one of my films or perhaps turning on the TV news, but then I reasoned one would likely remind him too much of work and the other simply upset him. He was sitting in a chair opposite me as I continued to prop myself up cross-legged on the bed, my stuffed toy animal surrounding me. After many long moments, he raised his head up, looked me in the eye, and asked, My boy, have you ever asked yourself, Vi Sears Roebuck? Not exactly what I expected him to say at the, such a moment. No, I answered, not knowing where this was going. Well, he continued, I guess I didn't either, but you know... One of the arseholes I was talking to, so you do talk to them. I mean, like, you have conversations with assholes, like you and I are talking right now. I thought you only picked up impulses from your machines and read readouts from sheets of paper. Yeah, that too, but I try talking to them once in a while. And it doesn't work as well as talking to you, although I've had my doubts about that too. Anyway, I make the effort, and one of them said to me, why Sears Roebuck? And I thought to myself, why indeed? I told you some of them were smartasses, and this one seemed among the smartest. A philosophical asshole, I contemplated. Hmm. It boggles the mind. It boggled mine. After all, why Sears Roebuck? If Sears Roebuck hadn't been invented, would life on this planet be worse or better off? Personally, I think it would have been better off. As a matter of fact, if Sears Roebuck hadn't been invented, man might have set foot on the moon by 1953, established a colony by 1962, and had its first probe circling Saturn by 1973. That's just space technology. What about medicine? With Sears Roebuck gone, I believe he would have a cure for cancer by 1980s. Clearly, Sears Roebuck is a detriment to civilization. 
Women who have spent an exorbitant amount of time at Sears during their second trimester of pregnancy can experience more difficult childbirths, with the child suffering possible brain damage. Of course, the evidence is sketchy. And what if it was Sears without Roebuck or Roebuck without Sears? How does that change things? Quite an upset, you say to yourself. No, I didn't, but he continued. But who knows? I'll bet everything that's wrong with this world can be traced back to Sears Roebuck or the A&P. Come to think of it, any multinational corporation can contribute to it. Think of the brain cells that are dying because of it. He got very quiet again. At this point, I could only think that overwork had gotten to him because the tirade that just ended made absolutely no sense to me, and I was beginning to wonder if too many assholes had gotten to him. He went into a kind of stupor after this, and I said nothing as I had nowhere to go on philosophical grounds at his conclusion. He then raised his head and started in again. You know, we're living in a Swiss cheese universe, he began. There are astrophysicists out there attempting to explain to us that the universe is a lot like spaghetti meatballs, only at zero gravity, or it's like a pizza that exploded, sending strings of mozzarella off into space. He gestured a lot to fill in missing words and eventually stopped talking and just gestured. Everything is just one plate of food thrown against a wall. It would seem the universe is one big gustatory mess. He kept staring into space. I hugged one of my teddy bears. Do you think there is a god, Mr. Wiener? He looked almost pitiful. And if there is, why would he make a universe look like spaghetti meatballs thrown at a wall? Is God perhaps an angry Italian? He then fell into silence. Do you believe in religion, Dr. Flabbergast? I can only listen to what people tell me. On one side you have Jesus and Moses. On the other side you have Newton and Einstein. Honestly, I think they're all a little foolish. I'm in the science business, but even so, I believe you should never take anything too seriously, even science. If I took science too seriously, I wouldn't be able to think. I'd end up as an arsehole. At this point, I brought up Ham Heckhaller. He had become quite the media sensation over the past few weeks, and his message of God's piss was benefiting millions. Perhaps I should backtrack a bit and cover Heckhaller's post-piss recovery. He had been taken to a hospital for burns due to overexposure to uric acid. As he entered the emergency room on a gurney, he kept on yelling at people, God pissed on me! His compatriots kept trying to quiet him. They pulled him up to the front desk and deposited him there. I am the prophet of the holy piss, he shouted ecstatically. Fill out this form, the nurse behind the counter told him. You don't understand. I'm the new prophet. I can save you. Not now, I'm going on break, she responded, and handed him a pen. I've been pissed on by God himself. I've been chosen. Wait over there. A doctor will be with you shortly. An orderly rolled him into a corner while his friends took seats nearby. Heckhaller grabbed the orderly. I'm your salvation. Maybe, the orderly rejoined. But you sure do stink. And so he left Heckhaller to his medical fate. Heckhaller shouted after him, Don't you get it? God pissed on me. Me! The receptionist fired back, Honey, God pisses on me all the time. I don't go on about it. Now sit back down and wait your turn. His friends were able to squelch some of his zeal, but not without effort. 
he was finally taken back into the examination area, where he was met by a certain Dr. Froy D. N. Slip. Dr. Slip came up to him and asked, Well, how are we? Heckholler immediately embraced him and answered, That's right! That seemed to impress Slip. Wee, 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 wee! Heckholler cackled. That's the answer! Heckholler then bolted out of the examination room, shouting, Wee, 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 all the way home. Or tried to get there. Since they couldn't stop him, wee-weeing down the hallway, they hit him with a tranquilizer dart. From this point on, it was merely a hop, skip, and a jump before he was on the Phil Donahue show. Once Phil had given him the national exposure he needed, donations came pouring into his makeshift ministry, and he soon had his own TV show, daily, with prayer lines open 24 hours a day. He tried to create his famous moment on camera by having a bucket of piss poured on him, which they obtained from cows, to give him any extra inspiration, as well as provide the visual impact needed to give his supporters what they wanted. Fans often duplicated the experiment themselves by pouring their own piss on their own heads, usually collected earlier in a sample cup for that very purpose. I occasionally watched his program and had actually become quite impressed with his message of intestinal peace. And though much of what he said seemed like incoherent ramblings, so had every other minister on television to me. His message was getting out to a public that had a spiritual longing for what comfort he provided, and it sounded like Dr. Flabbergast was as much in need of it as anybody else. So I asked him if he ever saw Ham Heckholler's show. Not surprisingly, he said, no, been busy. He's on several channels, I said. Let's see if he's on now. Flabbergast was in mood enough to comply, so I began searching TV channels until I found it. Heckholler had developed a new form of baptism. He figured that since God had pissed on him, he, in turn, to promote the blessing, should piss on everyone else. During communion, people would come up to the altar and kneel. Heckholler would come by and say, In the name of Almighty God, and then piss on everybody's head as they stopped by. I don't know how this got past the television network censors. My guess is by now even the TV stations were saying to themselves, What the fuck? And didn't care anymore if anyone complained. Flabbergast watched for a while without saying a word when a knock came on the door and in stepped Agent Brubaker. Time, he said through grinning teeth. Flabbergast got up without a word and before he left the room said, Thank you, my boy. And with that he was gone. Sometime after this, I found out that Flabbergast was able to communicate with directly with many anuses using his ultrasound-like device. And what they found was what Flabbergast has suspected all along. Anuses were in communication with each other. It was done through a special vibration the human ear was not able to pick up, and it was spread by word of mouth, or in this case, anus talking to anus. Somehow, it was never quite established exactly. However, it seems whenever people were close enough to talk to each other, butt to butt, such as in a crowded elevator, a commuter train, or in line for concert tickets, anuses were able to pass information. Most people regarded these as farts and were too embarrassed to say anything about it. Based on this, they were able to determine that, by vote, anuses elected a committee to deal with the problem. And from that, they had nominated a great anus to determine policy. Who or what this great anus was, they hadn't figured out. Authorities began to make plans of dealing with this great anus, 
and its cohorts as if they were dealing with a criminal organization. Where there was once an Al Capone, we were now confronted with the great anus. At least that was the thinking in the National Security Agency. This has been SolarWind Media presents Ron Schaefer's podcast. Find us at solarwindmedia.com.